0: Well, I invite your attention this morning, and we do not have a PowerPoint, so if you're visiting and you were wanting a 1997 PowerPoint presentation, we don't have it today, and that's all right. But I'm going to invite you to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, as we do, and um, I will be a little bit shorter, that's by plan anyway, because we wanted you to hear uh, from Aaron and from him as, as he shared the gospel. And we are in what we have entitled over these weeks, The Church Is, and we are kind of taking a break. If you're visiting with us, we usually have uh, what we call an expository sermon where we go through a passage and we just go through it verse by verse, book by book, really. Uh, And we haven't done that the last basically five weeks since after 4th of July. We have talked about the Great Commission. The church is where we follow the Lord's commands. It's where the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. It's where the church is one. We started there last week and it's also where the uh, people are cared for. The church is where people are cared for. So as we are in Ephesians chapter 4, we are doing even a weirder thing study-wise. We looked at verses 3 through 6 of Ephesians 4 last week. Well, we're backtracking. We're going up in the verses instead of down following the verses, and that's okay. It's all God's Word. If you're able to stand with us, will you join me in standing for God's Word this morning? We're going to read Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. We'll be studying 1 through 3 in the second part of... The Churches Where the Body of Christ is One, Part 2, this morning. Paul reads this. I'll be reading out of the ESV, which is the same version as the Pew Bibles in front of you. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility, with all gentleness, with all patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. As we talk about these verses, you members and longtime attenders of Tower View, we know God has given us a special unity here at this church, and we are ever grateful for that. A lot of churches would would, uh, almost give a lot of things just for their people not to fight over silly stuff. But that is a fragile thing, as we mentioned last week. And I want to get into this asking the question this morning, who is the church for? Who is the church for? We're going to see three things. The church is for them. The church is for you, but ultimately it's for God himself. And we'll unpack those in verses 1 to 3 this morning. Let's bow our heads as we get into it, and let's pray as we go before the Lord. Father, thank you so much as we come to you. Lord, these verses are very straightforward. They're, they're not hidden, Lord. There's are certainly uh, things in them that we will spend all eternity searching out in heaven for those of us who know you. But, Lord, we also know that these are so straightforward, they're easy to forget. So, Lord, as we answer that question, who is the church for? Lord, would you help us to be reminded of the things that are in this passage? By your Spirit, Lord, would you apply them to our lives and give us the grace as you always do through that same Spirit, Lord, the third person of the Trinity we just have sung about that you would allow us to live out what is here. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for our brother. Thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you just for the encouragement to know that this gospel is not just some old, old story, but it's an old story with dynamite power. For Father, you are the one who is the author, perfecter, and carrying carrying out of it all the time. We love you so much, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Well, guys, why don't you be seated for us this morning as we begin Well, I want to tell you a story, and you know it well, and the sermon will be a little bit different just in way of how we open and and move through. But once upon a time, although this is a real time, I'll I'll use that phrase, a historical time ago, people were very kind and sweet to each other. They lived in perfect harmony. There was no division. There was no breaking up. People were completely vulnerable with each other. They were open to each other. There was no hindrances or hidden agendas to their relationships. They were really had it all together. But during that same time, people were perfectly in sync with one another. They were they were in perfect unity, as it were. But, of course, there were only two people at that time. Do you know where this is going? They had a really good deal going on for a while, and it lasted all for about one chapter of the Bible. You might call that Genesis chapter 2. Then Genesis chapter 3 comes along, and the only two people in the world, well, they wreck everything. I mean, this is... I, I, I don't know how else to say it. And four chapters later, there's one family in existence. The floodwaters come, and God brings them back, and God says that all mankind is corrupt, and he sends a flood basically to eradicate everything, to hit the reset button on humanity. And just a few chapters later in chapter 9, after he sets forth that family, another bad thing happens with Noah, and it goes on and on. And we're not even halfway through the book of Genesis, and things are already bad. But from the get-go and thereafter, we have become experts about being enemies with each other. In fact, if you look at the history of Israel, that's exactly what happened. In the 11th chapter of the Bible, though, things change. We get together. We have a powwow. We want to build a building. And we're in the midst of renewing our stuff. And thank you for all those who are helping renew uh, the Children's Center. But they get together, and they have a unified time. We're going to build this big building to heaven. And God confuses their language and separates them apart. Friends, ever since the beginning, since that time and onward, we have been fighting each other. We've been fighting so much that through the first 11 chapters of the Bible, family rifts turn into tribal conflicts, tribal conflicts turn into generational curses, and nations rise and fall, and that's what happens all the way until Jesus comes. And then in Acts chapter 2, after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, our Savior, there is what we call Pentecost. And you know this well, but after hundreds of years that Jesus comes and he lives and he dies and takes the wrath of God and salvation is open to all and the church is unified. And, and they start speaking in languages they never had before. And, and it's like those old days. And then, well, just a couple chapters later, there are two people named Ananias and Sapphira. And do you remember the story of what happens with them? They lie about, at least in some part, what God has done in their lives, and Richard and I have studied this uh, for several weeks together and trying to unpack all this, but the bottom line is this. God is holy, 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 and they lied to him, and right there they dropped down dead. I just wouldn't want to be those young men carrying him out because I'm not sure what's going to happen to me if I don't carry him out the right way, if you know the story. But the problem is this. Ever since the beginning of time, since sin happened, the unity of God's people has always happened like this you remember what happened to Paul and Barnabas? They fought over a guy named John Mark. Do you remember this? Do you remember what happened to Peter in Galatians chapter 2? Peter came and he acted like the Jews when the Jews were around, and he acted like the Gentiles when the Gentiles were around, and Paul saw it all and called his bluff and called him to repentance. Unity of the church has always been a tough, tough issue. But I am here to tell you, Christian, that this is what we are called to be. We're not unified whether you like masks or don't like masks, whether you like Garth Brooks and the concert that happened last night or you think that's the bi- biggest super spreader event that could ever happen, whether you like the Chiefs or you like the Royals, whether you like blue or red or whether you like peanut butter or whether your toilet roll goes under or over, I don't care. <laughs> Unity is a fragile thing, but spiritually speaking, it even has more significance, doesn't it? We are called, as the church, to be unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to do. And Tower View, I'm here to remind you this morning, that is a fragile, fragile thing. Paul's writing to the group in Ephesians, and he's writing to them in a time and a place where they were basically, Ephesians was the third largest city of the Roman Empire, a cosmopolitan city. It wasn't Las Vegas, but it might have been close. It was a melting pot of religion melting pot of personality, and all these things. And Paul had no reason to write to them. But he knew, even though the church had no on-the-surface problems that we know of, he knew that underneath it all was coming a time where that church might be split. They might fight over doctrine. They might fight over who's right and who's wrong, or, or this interpretation, or that interpretation, or Jesus is coming before the seven-year tribulation, or after, or I'm a Calvinist, or I'm an Arminian. What they needed to be reminded of is that they were better than that. Not because they were better, but their gospel was better, and it brought them together. And so Paul spends the first three chapters, almost like he does in Romans, the first 11 chapters, and he exalts this great God, and he has the longest sentence in the Greek in Ephesians 1, the longest Greek sentence, literally. The longest Greek sentence is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3, through the end of the chapter. And he gets to this one point, and he says, look, there are Jews and there are Gentiles, but in Christ you're now one and then he comes to verse, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, therefore. And so this morning, I want to answer the question, who is this unity in Christ about? Who is the church for? And I think you know that. If you're a Christian, you know the church is not for anyone except primarily for who? Who's it for? It's for Christ. Secondly, it's for Christians. But thirdly, it is for people who do not know Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing to them and he picks it up in verse 1. Who's the church for? The first point is this, and I'm, I'm kind of speeding through this a little bit, not for this for sake of time, but because I want you to get this. He says in verse 1 that the church is for them. You notice Paul, if you go to verse 1 and you read that again, Paul comes to this question. He says, who's the church for? He says it's for them. You say, well, pastor, where are you getting that? Well, friend, you got to understand that he's been writing for the last three chapters about Jews and Gentiles. And now he's saying it's for them. It's for everyone who's outside of Jesus Christ. So what is our purpose in this? How does this relate to us being one in Christ? He tells you. He says, I therefore. Paul is a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is somebody who spoke so boldly the gospel that everything he did, everything he said was scrutinized to the fact that he was thrown in jail for his boldness for Jesus but I want you to know that he doesn't call them to oneness because he's a prisoner. He calls them to oneness because they are called to walk in a worthy way. I mean, think about this for a second. Most people are never going to read a Bible. Joe, who you just heard about, grew up in a country where, where at least religiously, there was reading of spiritual stuff. Most people today won't pick up a Bible. Yeah, there's a Gideon Bible in every drawer in every hotel. Is that still a thing? I haven't been in a hotel in a while. Uh, We do Airbnbs. I don't know if that makes us more or less holy, but there it is. And so you you pull out the drawer and there's a Gideon Bible. What a cool thing. But most people will never read a Bible. Do you know what most people will probably see representing Jesus Christ? It's you. It's me. What Paul tells them here is to be unified in Christ, you need to realize that people are watching you. People need the gospel. Who is the church for? It's for them. And as Paul exalts in all this theology and he gets to the practical feet of it, he reminds them of this fact. He tells them to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Christians, sometimes we walk worthy before each other in kind of a show of our Christianity at church more than we walk before the, 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 the world that is watching in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Does that make sense? Because we want to put it on our face. We want to put it on our church face. We want to be, be that Christian who has the loudest amen, who has the most Bible verses. I've got my quarterly. I've got my check. We all I mean, you all remember these things, you old timers. We don't have them anymore. Judy, or, or, our secretary, made these. But, you know, you can check you brought your Bible. Do you remember these things? You could check that you went to Sunday school. How many of you all remember this stuff? You can show your age proudly. Raise your hand. Come on now. Most of our church is raising their hands. That's, that's telling something. But I want you to know that to be unified in Jesus Christ, it's more than just checking the boxes every Sunday. It is remembering that our lives are to be patterned in such a way that when they look at us out there, they don't just see hypocriticalness. They see us one in Christ because we are aiming to live for the same Lord and the same goal. That's why he says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. He reminds them of his station in life. Paul could have easily have just given in to the pressure of the Romans to denounce Christ, to to give up all that he preached for the lack of just not wanting to suffer anymore. That's not what he did, though. He took the whips. He took the shame. He took everything that he took because he knew that his example in Christ meant something to them coming to Christ. Does that make sense? Two weeks ago, our bus barn was busted into. It's almost been two weeks to the day. Our bus barn here was busted into, the details of which only God will ever know. Our cameras didn't pick anything up, and we know those things. But I want you to know that our Facebook feed this last week, and if you're a Facebook, if you're a social media fan, Tom loves this type of stuff, our views on Facebook went up 3,527% this last week. Do you know why? Because people were curious what our bus barn door looked like after a truck rammed into it. I think it's pretty much what it was. They want to see this church that got busted into. But I want to tell you this week also that some of our posts on Facebook have had more views this last week because we didn't cry out and and cry, well, they're, they're persecuting us because we're Christians. We just simply let our testimony be our testimony. And we're praying that these people come to Christ. But when people looked at our webpage, all those stats went up. This last week, our greatest viewed webpage this last week was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am convinced that because our church didn't go out and try to just slap everyone down with a penalty for doing, look, we want to persecute, persecute, prosecute those who, who did this and we want them to come to justice for what they've done and what they stole and what they've caused to our church. But I thank God, even on a social media front, that people can look at us and say, they're not just rallying around a lot of political cause, we put specifically in that post We want people to come to know the greatest love, which is Jesus Christ. Friends, our unity in Jesus, your unity in Jesus is a witness to the outside world. Who is church for? It's for people who do not know Jesus. It is for people who do not know Jesus. Why? He tells them, the calling to which you have been called. What is that calling? That calling is that God, before the foundation of the world, called you out. He called your name. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. Pastor, where do you get that? Go read Ephesians chapter 1. The calling by which you've been called is a sovereign calling. It's it's the same thing that in Mark 3 when Jesus called the disciples, that he called them unto himself. It was a summons. It was a court summons that they could not resist. Irresistible, some might call it. But what we know is this is that when God called you, He called you unto His own for His glory, and He called you to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. We are entering a time and a season where who knows what the coronavirus is going to be doing to us. I'm sick of talking about it. You're sick of hearing about it. But I want to make Jesus end up more holy and and even higher than this. People are looking at us as Christians to see how we're going to handle this coronavirus. You know how we're going to handle it? We're going to handle it in a way that honors God, we're going to handle it in a way that uplifts Christ. But when people look at our church, they're not going to see us divided over mask or not mask, vaccinated or not vaccinated. They're going to see us with one anthem. Do you know what that is? His name is Jesus Christ. Because our Savior is better than any of this. Guys, do you realize that five years ago in the Rio Olympics, it was a thing? I don't even remember the name of it now. They had a virus going around, and no one wanted to go to the Olympics because there was a virus in the past. Coronavirus is serious, it's going to pass. what people will remember most is as Christians, how did we handle them? Are we shaken in fear like everybody else? Or are we strong and resolute like we're called to? Paul said, look, you've been called with a calling. Live up to that standard. And Christian, can I just simply ask you this question? If people looked at your life, would they like to come to your church? Serious question. Like seriously, if they looked at your life, and they asked you this question, why should I go to your church? Did they want to be a part of your church? Or does the way that you live outside of here affect how they view not only your church, but also the faith that you have in Jesus Christ? Before Paul gets into unity, he reminds you that together as one is the greatest witness to the watching world. Second thing is this, verse 2. Who is the church for? The church is for you. The church is for you. Look back at verse 2. He says, "We do this. We do this walking before the world, or walking before the Lord, in a manner worthy of our calling before the world for which you've been called." Verse two, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility in the old days was one of the worst things that could ever happen to a person. If you were humble in in the days of Paul, you were seen to be weak. You were seen to be there, and that happens today too. If you're a politician in today's day, if you don't say some bold thing or some some crazy thing, then you're not going to get the time on the news media. But as Christians, we have a humble message, don't we? We have a humble Savior. He came to die for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Who is church for? It's for you. Well, how do you get that out of this passage? Because when you're humble, when you treat others better than yourselves, Philippians chapter 2, when you consider their interests greater than your own, when you take up your cross, when you become last so they might become first, your whole perspective on what church is about changes. Because a lot of people today, what are they really at for in church? In small towns, if you're a businessman, you go to church to make connections so that you might sell some products. happens all the time. A lot of people go to church because they want their family to be more moral or to grow up in in good things, and that's not a bad thing. A lot of people go to church because their mama or their grandma or their daddy or their uncle pressured them and they brought them. A lot of people go to church to get a fix, get a warm fuzzy that lasts about one hour until they eat that burrito, and that goes away quite quickly once that goes through. Why do people go to church? People go to church for a lot of reasons, but most people go to church because it's about them. It's about me. It's about what I get out of it. Look, if you've come to church today, we're so glad you're, if you're watching online, you're in the parking lot, we're so super stoked you're here. But I want to remind you that church is for you when you follow what this says. When we are one in Christ, we want to outdo, as Hebrews says, do, or Romans says, excuse me, Romans 12 says about outdoing each other, about submitting and trying to outdo each other and how well we serve each other. Church becomes a whole new perspective when it's less about us and it's more about Him. Because when we see Him high and lifted up, we want to make everyone else feel welcome. We want everyone else to feel uh, uh, one in Christ. What He is saying here is we do this with humility. We also do it with gentleness. Gentleness is a very rare thing these days because the louder you can cry on one of these things, these phones, everyone's an expert today, aren't they? You ever notice that? Especially during the Olympic times. Man, if they had an, if I really wish, this is Bill Murray, but Bill Murray said this, I really wish they'd put an Olympian, a regular person in every Olympic game so that we could see the standard by which we all fail. It's pretty much what it is. Well, friends, everyone has a voice these days, but do you know what we are called to do? We're called to be gentle. And in a world where everybody is just thriving mad, our unity in Christ is going to be seen by how gentle we are to each other. I mean, let's be honest about it. Do we uplift each other by how we treat each other in this church? Do we allow ourselves to see others better than ourselves and how we treat them allows them to be seen not just as a, a, as a doormat to our success, but as something that we are called to do? And I wrote this list out. My notes are all over the place, guys. You want to see it? This is why I miss our secretary, Judy. If you're visiting with us, she passed away three weeks ago. This is how I printed my notes this morning, all right? You see that? <laughs> That's why you practice young seminarians. That's why you practice your sermon before and you go through and you study your text. But I want to find what I wrote for you because I think it goes well. We are not called to scrutinize each other. We are not called to do these things. What we are called to do most of all is to give Christ all the glory. And friends, I want you to know so often in churches it's that I will scrutinize you. I'll talk behind you. I'll do all these things behind your back. I, 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 I don't want... People to feel bad, so I'm just going to talk to them about it over here. If we're following what Paul says here, we're going to treat others with humility, gentleness, and with patience because there are some of us in this group that are not as spiritually along as others. There are some of us in this group that are not as spiritually strong as others, but I want you to know to be one in Christ. Church is for you when you see that this is for everybody who's in Christ. What do I mean? He goes on to say, we do this with all patience. Some of you here really struggle that everyone's not wearing masks right now. Some of you really struggle that people are wearing masks right now. Some of you really struggle in this church because we aren't going as fast as you'd like it to go. Some of you are really struggling in this church to see things not back to normal. But well, I want to tell you this one thing. In Christ, as one, when we put others before ourselves, the church is for us because we see that it's not about us. It's really all about Him. And when we do that, friends, we are patient. The word patience here refers to the same way that a, uh, an animal was broken in. It took patience to break an animal down, to get it ready for the, the rising of a farm, all those types of things. We are to bear with one another in love. And Tower View, I want you to pray this for us, would you? Would you pray that this fellowship here, that as we look around, as we live in a way that honors Christ to the outside world, that we have these really in our lives. Husbands, are you praying these for your wife at home, for yourself? Are you bearing with them in, in love and patience, humility and gentleness? Brothers and sisters, are we doing this here at our church I'm speaking very plainly today because I really want this to come through. Because the moment our church gets away from this is the moment it becomes just another statistic of a church. God is doing great things right here at Tower View, amen? I believe that. But I'm telling you that if we lose these things, we are going to lose the very foundation that God has called us to. Christian, Paul was so eager to tell them about their unity in Christ that he reminded them for them to see church about themselves, they need to see others better than themselves with patience, humility, gentleness, and bearing one another in love. But finally, who is church really all about? It's really about number three. It's all about God himself. So many churches today, have given in to the culture, that church is a consumeristic way to view life. There are many churches that when coronavirus hit about 17 months ago, they had to change their game very, very quickly. The fog machines had to die. The colors of the lights had to change. The pastor had to put on makeup to get on the TV screen. I don't know, whatever they had to do. But friends, I am telling you, most churches in America don't want unity. They don't want patience. They don't want peace. They don't want love. They don't want living their lives out. They want an experience. If you're visiting with us at Tower View Baptist Church, we pray you get an experience here today. It's not about me. It's not about my terrible preaching. It's not about the lovely singing. It's not about the encouraging reports of Aaron. That's all great. It's about all that together. Becoming and seeing God high and lifted up. Because church ultimately is about God himself. Yeah, it's for them on the outside. We want everyone who doesn't know Christ to come in here and hear the gospel. But ultimately, church is for you. It's for those who know Christ. It's for the sheep. It's to grow. It's all those things. But so many churches today have treated church just like another business. And the pastors as the CEOs. And Tower View, we are not going to do that here. We are here. Yeah, we, we should have joy. We should be you are in church, you are here worshiping a risen Lord. There are people in another country who literally have spent their whole lives longing for that truth. So don't forget why you're here. You are here to make much of God. Yes, that impacts you personally. Yes, I pray, we pray that you feel the peace of Christ as you walk out of here, that you feel the joy of the Spirit. But look at verse 3, what he says. He says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit. How do you get the Spirit uh, Spirit of, of God? You get it by believing in Jesus Christ. You get it by repenting and turning from your sins. That is how you get it. And so many churches today are more about bringing people through the door at the cost of truth, at the cost of unity, at the cost of everything the Bible says, just to get them in the door. And church, that will not. we will not last. This church grows on the foundation of God's word and God's word alone. Amen? This church is for God himself. Why do you go to church? You go to church because God is worthy and you and I are absolutely needy people. We have to have him all the time, don't we? He says be eager to maintain. That word eager there is like... There's several Greek translations. The best Greek translation I found is that word eager is the same eager that you have to do whatever, putting it in very simple language. You have hobbies. I have hobbies. You know I like to run. It's just weird to get up at 3 in the morning, go run around with coyotes and whatever else is out there at that time of day. That's weird. I'm eager to do that. I'm eager to get up at 3 and go burn some energy, go running around the neighborhood. That's just weird, I know. But some of you are eager to do other things. Some of you uh, love uh, uh, watching, well, you love watching Olympic events that make me fall asleep, right? Artistic dancing, swimming, that just puts me to sleep. Some of you are eager to do woodwork. You're eager for things in life. What Paul is saying is this, if the church is really all about God, if it's really all about exalting the gospel before people and together, what you need to do is make sure wherever you go, whether it's in a small group, a small setting, that you are eager to put forth an effort to maintain the unity that God has given us. We don't come together just to come together. We come together because Jesus Christ is Lord. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Go back to last week. But we come together because he has brought us together. Are we eager to guard that? So let's be, let's be super practical right here. That means there, that gossip will never, should never have a spot in this church. Amen? If you can't say it to someone's face, you better not be talking about it. Well, I'm just coming to pray for them. No, you're not. You're coming to gossip about them. Stop it. You've been there. I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. Let's just say it how it is. I think that's one of the biggest things we're lacking in churches today, just to be honest. That means also, too, not only gossip, but that we are eager to see people outside of just the Sunday routine. That when you pray for people, especially you Tower View members, we put out our, our monthly calendars to pray for people. That you're praying for, you're checking up on people, you're making sure that they are, they are growing in Christ and you're serving them. And how can I pray for you? How can I get to know you? It also means that you're eager to guard the doctrine of this church. That you don't allow your pet theological issue to overtake the unity of everything else in this church. Be careful. Well, that doesn't give us much room to be who we are. Golly, if you've looked around our church, we have some characters, and you know that to be true, amen? Oh, come on. You know our church. You know we have some characters here, old and young, especially uh, a few older ones that I teach in our class, the class you go to die in right over there. We have some characters in our church. (laughs) If you don't know our class, that's an inside joke, and we mean it all the same. But I want you to know, together, we guard ourselves. And let me be even more politically practical. That means if you disagree with someone on a political issue, on a societal issue, and the Bible gives you room for freedom, we're going to allow the Bible to, that's your conscience, that's theirs. Look, you go to eat at a restaurant and you don't put on your mask, and someone else doesn't go to a restaurant because they want to put on your mask, guess what? You are closer to that person in Jesus Christ than you are to the guy with the big truck driving around with the American flag halfway around the country, because you are one in Christ. Do you see how easily this can be broken? God takes seriously the unity of the church, and the church is where we are unified in Jesus Christ. This also means that racial barriers are out the window. This also means that we are not segregating people by class, by white-collar, blue-collar, old, or young, married, not married, widowed, widower, somewhere in between, engaged, not engaged, whatever. We are one in Jesus Christ. Why? He tells you that we would maintain the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit will be perfected in heaven someday. Christian, I'm just trying to be as straight-up honest with you today as I can be that God takes this very seriously. I wish most churches took this very seriously. And I will tell you as a young pastor, I think I let some things slide even within our church in years gone by that should have been brought back to these verses. Are you eager to maintain what God is growing here at this church? We will fail each other. I will fail you. Pastor Nelson, yes, even Pastor Nelson will fail you from time to time. Wherever that chaplain guy's at, right back there. Lane or intern for another week before that officially switches over will fail you at times. He wears shorts when he reads the scripture, so I'm just giving him a hard time. (laughs) I love you, brother. I wear them too when I read the scripture sometimes as well. But guys, I want to remind you today This world is mad, but our Savior is good. As you look around the world today, it's hurting. It's dying. But together in Christ, we will see growth when we want Christ uplifted more than anything else. I love you all so much. Our family loves you all so much. And even this morning, I got a text in between services from another pastor. He said, pray for me. I've got people fighting over masks. Not here not here. Why? Because Jesus died for my sins, and He died for yours as well. And if you can't agree on that and as a Christian, I'd question whether you really are a Christian. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ with all humility, gentleness, and patience, and bearing one, with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. May God make that fulfilled in our midst today. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've come to the right place. You've heard the gospel from our brother. You've heard the gospel in our songs. You've heard the gospel every which way, but I want to be straight up with you. If you're online, if you're outside, if you do not know Jesus, there is one way to heaven and his name is Jesus Christ. You've sinned so much that literally the God of heaven had to come down as a man, fully God, to take on our sin debt that we owe. He bore the sin for us and he resurrected. Tyre of you, that's the message which we stand. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to tell you today, the only way to heaven is through him. Turn from your sin and come to him. We'll be at the front at the end if you'd like to come testify to that or, or whatever. That sounds Pentecostal. I know you know what I mean. Come tell us about that, whatever. But church, we love you so much. And as we meet in three weeks, As a church, some of you are going to say, I don't agree with that decision. I don't agree with that decision. That's okay. But I pray we go back to these last two weeks, and Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 reminds us of how we're to treat one another as we go through that process. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together, and um, we'll invite the worship team up as you will. Let's pray together. Father, this is not our normal sermon, as given most times to this pulpit. This is in much reflection and in a, in a passage, Lord, notes aside, printing aside, all that stuff aside, just to be reminded of what we are called to here at this church. Father, I thank you that you have grown such a healthy biblical church over these many, many years here at Tower View Baptist. Father, and, and, and Nelson and many of us on staff in and out the last six or seven years are only a part of that story, as are many new members. We thank you for the long time, uh, as we call them the old timers here at Tower View, who have stood by your gospel through thick and thin, through many ups and downs of this church over the years. But Father, as we go forward, we pray for one body, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one Lord and God and Father of all, who's in all, through all, and beside all, as the scripture says. But Lord, we pray that you draw us close together. We are going to disagree. We are going not to see eye to eye. We are going to fail each other. We are going to need to seek forgiveness and to extend forgiveness. But Lord, that's what family does. And Lord, we pray as we go forward that we are a church where the church is one in Christ. Father, that we might be a witness, verse 1, to those on the outside that you might see through the lens of us serving other people that church is for us and that we are putting others before ourselves, but ultimately, Lord, that we would be reminded that church is for you. There is one spirit that you've called us to. Father, the, the natural man, scripture says, cannot understand the things of the spirit, yet those who know the Christ can see spiritual things. So, Father, as we work together, May we see grace more. May we we'll park our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our families, online, parking lot, wherever people are in the sound of our ministry's voice. Come to know Jesus Christ. Give us great wisdom, great humility. Father, we love you so much. Lord, we pray all these things today in the glorious name of your Son, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen. amen.